turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 4. During the announcements, Mike mentioned that on that Friday night, just two nights ago, that he broke down the story related to upcoming events and Luke 4.18 and what it all means and how it's uh, connecting and coming together. And so if you want to look that up, just go to the IHOPKC website. And the title is Worship, Compassion, Prophetic Intercession. Worship, Compassion, Prophetic Intercession. So you can look that up and follow along. That will help you get into the story. That's what I'm gonna do this morning, even with this message, is helping us uh, as best I can as a spiritual family to get into the story, get our minds around just a little bit what's happening, what's unfolding in our midst so that we can respond, so that our hearts are connected, we can be talking about it with our family members and friends and that type of thing. So worship, compassion, prophetic intercession, those are the four banner values that Mike mentions in that message. Okay, well, I'm gonna begin by looking at Luke chapter four and kind of the direction we're going this morning is we have these passages that the Lord has been emphasizing that we're calling the family conversation. They're not the only passages that are important and they're not the only passages the Lord's emphasizing in the body of Christ. He's just emphasizing them to us. And the teaching notes for this morning, they're on our website. You can scan the QR code right now in your bulletin if you wanna follow along with those. I have them listed out here. And one of the key family conversation passages is this passage from Luke 4.18. And also Psalm chapter two. And so this is what we're doing this morning. You're looking at Acts chapter four right now. Acts chapter four combines together the Luke 4.18 anointing that's operating in the body of Christ with the rage of leaders, religious and political leaders of Psalm 2. It combines the anointing of the Spirit of Luke 4.18 with the rage of Psalm 2, and we see the body of Christ and how they're operating in this passage, Acts chapter 4. That's why I believe this passage is important for us. I'm gonna look at Luke 4.18. I have brief history written down here about how the Lord, two of the ways in which the Lord prophetically emphasized this to our spiritual family here over the years. It's in the notes, but I'm not gonna go through all that right now. I'm gonna read Luke 4.18. And what I did in the notes is I put in some of the Hebrew and the Greek words borrowing from Isaiah 61, because that's what Jesus is quoting in Luke 4.18, and from Luke 4.18, which is written in Greek, so the Hebrew of the Old Testament, the Greek of the New Testament, because I think it brings the passage more to life, and you begin to see, at least I did, begin to see some more of the implications, how dynamic, how important, how much this passage comes to the forefront in terms of who Jesus is and who he's called us to be. So I'm gonna read this. And if you're not following along with the teaching notes, just bear with me here. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Now the Spirit, that word Spirit, is the breath of God or the wind of God. Jesus is saying this of himself. He's saying the breath of God, the Spirit of God is resting upon me. And the Lord is Adonai Yahweh. The Lord and the name Yahweh, which is the Old Testament name of Yahweh, revealed to Moses the name of God, the will be, am, was, the eternal preexistent God. He's saying that God, Yahweh, the Spirit of God, is resting upon me because he has anointed me to preach. And that word anointed is where we get the word Messiah. So he's declaring he is the Messiah. He's the long-awaited Messiah the Jewish people were anticipating. He's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. That word preach in the Greek is where we get the word evangelize. So he's anointed of Yahweh with the Spirit. Why is he anointed of Yahweh? Because he's going to accomplish the will, the desire of Yahweh, the preexistent eternal God, and he is the anointed evangelist of all the ages. 
Now he goes on, he, he says of himself, he has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. And that term sent is where we get the idea apostle, the sent ones. The father sent the son. We know that from John 3.16. God so loved the world that he sent the son. He was an apostle, a sent one, anointed of Yahweh to come and declare the purposes of God to the human race. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives. Now that word proclaim means to herald, to go beforehand, to announce the desire and the will of Yahweh, the king of all the cosmos, of all the universe. And Jesus was anointed as an evangelist, as an apostle, as a herald with the very spirit of Yahweh to declare something to humanity in his generation. He sent me to deliver uh, uh, captives out of captivity, the recovery of the sight of the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of Yahweh. And so Luke 4.18, there is so much in this passage and what Jesus is saying to, to, to that uh, context in that generation is so profound and it has bearing upon us today because the Lord is gonna release a Luke 4.18 anointing in a greater measure upon the church, the body of Christ. And we will be the ones, and we are, but we will be even more as the Lord increases the anointing, those that bear the name of Yahweh upon us, who are anointed by the Lord, by the Spirit, to proclaim, to preach, to see signs and wonders and miracles done so that the purposes of Yahweh would be seen in our generation. Paragraph C, about halfway down the page, Luke 4.18, this passage is set in Nazareth. Now that's Jesus' hometown. He endures the temptation of the wilderness. We know where the evil one, Satan, comes to tempt him with the three temptations. He comes out of the wilderness anointed with the Holy Spirit. He goes back to Nazareth. He goes into the synagogue where there were weekly readings of Torah, the word of God, and the the reading for that day happened to be Isaiah 61, and he happened to be chosen to read it, which was common practice, to read Isaiah 61. And so he begins to read this, and he begins to reveal that what the prophet Isaiah was talking about was actually about him. And what is happening is very profound. I mean, the long-awaited Messiah, the anointed one that would come from Yahweh to deliver the people from captivity to do signs and wonders and miracles, to proclaim the will of God, he's saying, this is talking about me. And so he rises up and he begins to speak this message from Isaiah 61. And now Isaiah 61 is the commissioning of the servant of the Lord. It's the commissioning of the Messiah. And through Isaiah, and I have the, uh, the chapters listed here, through Isaiah, there is this servant of the Lord that begins in chapter 42 of Isaiah that will accomplish cosmic justice. And what I mean by cosmic is I mean complete and total through all of the ages and all of the created order, he will accomplish the justice of Yahweh, making all things right and bringing them all into agreement with who Yahweh is and what Yahweh wants. And so these passages outline the servant, and Isaiah 61 culminates with the anointing of that servant to begin his earthly ministry. And so Jesus is saying this of himself. Now the Lord, <clears throat> excuse me, highlights in Isaiah 61 that this anointing on the Messiah will manifest through two ways, through Two primary ways, they're not the only ways, but it will manifest through preaching, through proclamation and anointed words, and also through the healing ministry. And why is this important? Because the Luke 4.18 anointing, which is the anointing that Jesus is talking about, you came to, I came to preach the gospel to the poor. I came to heal the brokenhearted and to set at liberty the captives. This message right here that we're seeing in Isaiah 61 
is going to be the message of the church that will see the return of Jesus in their generation. It's the Luke 4.18 anointing. And this Luke 4.18 anointing is gonna come on the body of Christ in a greater measure, and the body of Christ is going to be radically and dynamically anointed of Yahweh through Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, to proclaim the desires of God in their generation. Now, people get excited about that. I get excited about that. I mean, <clears throat> what believer do you know that if you went to them and said, do you wanna be more anointed of God? Who would say, nah, I'm good. Everyone wants to be more anointed. And we're constantly desiring, wanting to be more anointed. And why do we want that? Well, in a very carnal sense, we want the anointing because our life becomes much easier, seemingly, when we have the anointing. It's like when I pray for a sick person, I want them to get well. I don't want them to get sicker. How many of you have prayed for someone and they've never been healed? The person had not been healed in that moment. All right, the rest of you have either neither, never prayed for anyone or y'all are just so anointed that you come up here and you lead this whole thing. Everybody wants the anointing because it's like, I want my words to matter. I want to have dreams and visions and angelic encounters and all of these things. I want the anointing to increase on my life. Well, the thing about the anointing increasing upon our life is that it causes trouble in a very dynamic and profound way. Matter of fact, you could argue that it was the anointing on Jesus that ultimately led him to be crucified. If he didn't have the anointing, they would not have crucified him because the anointing was provoking something in them. It was stirring something. In, it was, the anointing was making them uncomfortable. It was shifting power bases and removing classism and bringing this, this gospel of the kingdom that was for all men and all women, something that was, uh, that was radically opposed, particularly in that day. And not only that, but when Jesus stands up in Luke 4, he says, this is, this is me, I'm the anointed one. Guess what he says? He says, in this region, a prophet's not accepted in his own town. You're not gonna accept me in Nazareth, even though I am the Messiah. And the wonders and the works and the miracles and all this stuff, he goes, I'm gonna go do those in the Gentiles. And they're like, what? And when they're quickly marveling in one verse in Luke 4, because of the gracious words that are pouring from his lips, they're all marveling. When he begins to apply what the anointing means and how it's gonna come to Nazareth, their hometown, they get very offended at him and they quickly turn to wrath. Do you know that they try and kill him? They lead him out to the hilltop. They're like, let's throw this guy off. Why? Because we want the anointing to benefit us directly. We wanna harness the anointing for our own agendas, for our own power, for our own events, and we don't wanna go the way of God and his servant and his anointing because Jesus' anointing leads to the cross. And that's why many people are confused when the anointing comes and their life gets dynamically more complex and difficult. We used to say, or people still say this, new levels, new devils. Whenever there's an increase of the anointing, there's an increase of trouble. And when the Luke 4.18 anointing came upon Jesus, he began to pick a fight with the powers at B, and it ultimately led to the cross. So in Nazareth, they didn't like this idea that Jesus wasn't going to accomplish everything that they wanted. They're like, we want you to go win the election. We want you to boot out Rome. We want you to bring in the glory, the glorious messianic reign of everything that we've been anticipating. And he said, well, he gave them several different stories about how he was going to the Gentiles. And what he meant was that the gospel, this message of salvation and the Messiah, the anointing of Messiah had to go to the nations of the earth before it would fully redeem and restore the nation of Israel in this region of, of Nazareth. And they didn't like that. They didn't like that idea. They were very offended at that because everyone wants their hometown hero. Everybody wants a hometown hero. Everybody in a small town knows who their hometown hero is. You know, like in uh, Grandview High School, their football team, we had Josh Freeman as the quarterback. And he went and played in the NFL. His family was involved here and, and still is. 
he went and played in the NFL, and he's a hometown hero. We have a basketball player, I think his name's Alec Burke. He went and played in the NBA. He's a hometown hero. Whenever they show up back in town, you know, they're treated like celebrities. Nazareth wanted a hometown hero. And Jesus, under the anointing, said, you're actually not gonna get the hometown hero you're anticipating. You're mindful of the things of men. You're not mindful of the things of God. I'm here to do what my Father is sending me to do. And as believers, as we're crying out for the anointing, we need to be mindful that when the anointing increases, it's not for us to make our life more comfortable, to bring more meaning to it, to satisfy some longing and satisfaction of our heart where we feel unfulfilled. Everybody feels unfulfilled. I talked about that at Father's Day last week. Everybody wrestles with a feeling of unfulfillment. And the anointing of heaven and the breakthrough of promises are not going to make us suddenly fulfilled. They're not gonna convince all of our family members that we were right the whole time and we weren't crazy for moving to Kansas City. It's not gonna win every online argument. Like when the Lord releases Luke 418 on the church, it's not like Facebook is just gonna become this powerhouse apologetic where it's like the caps lock is on and we're just like just roasting people with the truth of God's word and proving everyone wrong. Doesn't work like that. The anointing is about accomplishing the will of the Father. Jesus, the most anointed man, never used the power of his divine anointing for himself. He used it to glorify the Father. He always used the anointing to glorify the Father and to bring people to the Father. That's why God doesn't anoint you for you. He anoints you for others. In the wilderness temptation, if it were me, 40-day fast in the desert? You've got to be kidding me. Somebody comes, says, hey, turn these stones into bread. I'm not waiting till day 40 to do that. I'm doing that at like 4 p.m. the first day. Let's be honest. If you had the power to turn rocks into food, why would you not do that? And the truth is, is that Jesus never hijacked the anointing for himself. He was anointed of Yahweh for the delight of Yahweh. And that's what God's going to do in the church, in the body of Christ. He's going to release such an unprecedented and profound anointing. And it's for you and it's for your children. And it is going to cause great trouble. The Luke 4.18 anointing upon Jesus and upon the body of Christ elicits the rage of the nations, the rage of powers, the rage of kingdoms, because right now, most secular leaders and those in authority don't look at the church, particularly in America or, or the West, and think, oh no, they're going to dethrone me and challenge everything that I'm doing. They're not mostly afraid. There's not mostly a a fear or an awe or a reverence, even of God. They're not threatened by it. But the days are coming where the church begins to walk in such power that people stop buying into the idolatrous systems. They stop giving money into idolatrous systems. It begins to shake powers. I think of the life and the ministry of Paul. How he was, according to church history, ultimately martyred by Nero, Caesar. Caesar, Nero did not murder, martyr Paul because Paul was preaching, Jesus loves you and forgives all of your sins. Because that message, though part of the gospel, is not a threat to the powers and the principalities and the leaders of this age. It's not. It doesn't threaten them. It doesn't shift them, doesn't shake them. But when Paul goes into Ephesus and begins to work such powerful signs and wonders and miracles under the spirit of Luke 4.18 that people stop buying the idols of silver and all the silversmiths are going out of the business. Now the economy in Ephesus is crashing and they're bringing out all their magic books and burning them in the streets. And so the magic libraries are crashing as well. Now people's money are touched. Now their power base is touched. Now the wrath and the rage of the nations and the leaders begins to rise. Do you see? 
So everybody's crying out, Lord, make me more anointed, make me more anointed, but there is trouble around the corner. And it's not that we should not ask for it, it's that we have to have a right understanding and mentality of what it means for the Spirit of God to rest upon a geographic location. It's a holy thing. It's a powerful thing. And we want it. We want it to happen. We want the power of God and the might of God because we're living for another age. We're a part of another kingdom. It's not an earthly kingdom. It's a heavenly kingdom. It's coming to the earth. Our Messiah, Jesus, the Lord of all the nations. Our life is not our own. Our things are not our own. Our materials are not our own. And we need to settle the issue now because the stakes are being raised right now, whether we're aware of it or not. And the Lord's looking at the church. He's going, I'm going to release such power on you. It is going to cause you so much trouble in the natural. So don't make the natural your hope. Don't make the present age your hope. Fix your eyes upon me. Go the way of the servant. Look how Jesus lived his life and suffered and pleased the Father as an offering poured out before him. They were to do the same. The Lord will release unusual anointing and preaching and healing. I have a few verses here. Over and over the Gospels, emphasize Jesus' preaching and his healing ministry. And then that same ministry passed to the disciples when he commissions them in Matthew chapter 10. He calls the 12 to him, and then he gives them power over unclean spirits. And then he sends them, in verse 7, he says, as you go, I want you to preach. Now, preaching is not always from a platform on a Sunday morning to a bunch of folks. That's not what preaching is. I think that preaching is the declaration of the truth of God's word in any context. Could be around a dining room table, could be on a lunch break with your coworkers, could be to your children in a morning devotional. When you open your mouth, God wants to release anointed words through the lips of his servants. And it's how his kingdom goes forth. Think about that. God takes our weak words where we declare the truth of who God is. We just speak truth. Christ suffered on the cross for the remission of sins. He died, he was raised, and he's coming again to judge the quick and the dead. You better repent of your sins because you give an account to him. You answer him, and the Lord takes just weak words like that, and he puts the Holy Spirit and power on them. He wants us to open our mouth and to speak forth the truth of his word because he has fewer and fewer friends. So he, he releases anointing on preaching. Then he releases the anointing on signs and wonders and miracles. And sometimes the preaching happens, and then the signs and wonders and miracles break out. And sometimes the signs and wonders break out, and then people are leaning in to the preaching. But they often go hand in hand. Do you know that God wants to release through you, every believer, signs and wonders and miracles? Casting out of demons, raising the dead, healing the sick, opening the eyes of the blind. He has commissioned you and called you. And you say, well, I haven't seen it yet. That doesn't mean that God doesn't want it. And it doesn't mean that God is not going to do it. It just means that you haven't seen it to the degree that you want But how can you control the anointing anyway? You can't make it happen. You can't make someone get healed. You can't make them get saved. All you can do is open your mouth and stretch out your hand and trust that when you do, God will open his mouth and stretch out his hand. It's one of the things I love about our God. It's one of the things that I love about him is that he didn't say, just go and make converts. He said, go and testify of me. Go and be a witness to me. Open your mouth, speak the truth, let me deal with their heart. He can take the weakest words, the weakest love, the weakest prayer, and he can turn it into a miracle in such a profound way. And he does it time and time and time again. And he's looking for us to be activated in faith and believe on the word of God and not trust in our anointing, but trust in his anointing. 
A lot of times we go to meetings, we go to a, a, a healing meeting, a revival meeting, a preaching meeting, whatever, and we have more trust in the anointing of the person on the platform than we do in Jesus who has been personally anointed for your life. He is the anointed one. It's one of the things that's been gripping me from Luke 4.18 that the Lord has been highlighting even through this passage is that I don't just get excited at the idea of, God, I want to be anointed by you, and I want to see signs and wonders and miracles. I want to do that. The thing that's been personally, I'm just giving you a little insight into my own heart, has been this. God is showing me the anointing of his son, and it is profoundly touching my heart. I sit before him. I read his word. I go, Lord, these aren't your words, or these aren't my words. These are your words. I think of the promises over our city. I go, Lord, these aren't my promises. These are your promises. You said them. You want to release an unprecedented revival in Kansas City. You want to release it way more than I do. You are way more anointed than I am to heal the sick. You are way more anointed to raise the dead. My trust, my confidence is in you. I appeal to the name of God. I appeal to the Holy One, the Anointed One, Jesus Christ, Messiah, mighty to save. He didn't go into the grave and die forever. You know that. He's still a resurrected man in a body covered in the anointing of God and ready to set captives free today. He's anointed over Kansas City. He's anointed over Grandview. He's anointed over your family, over your marriage, over your children, all of these things are still true presently today because Jesus is the Christ. Christ means anointed. It's who he is. He loves who he is. The Father delights in him. We're to delight in him. Thank you, God, for anointing your son with such power and authority who can stand against the purposes of God. If Jesus says today you're gonna be set free from sickness, who can resist that? What devil or demon can resist the words of God that come through the mouth, the anointed mouth of the Messiah? No one. No one can resist him. No one can upend his plans or his purposes. No one can stand against him and prevail. This is our God. This is our Lord. This is our friend. Jesus releases the anointing upon his people. He gives them the Holy Spirit. He endues them with power from on high. He says in Acts 1.8, he says, I'm gonna anoint you with the Holy Spirit and with fire because I want the plans of Yahweh to go forth through your mouths, through your lives, to the very ends of the earth. And the Lord's gonna do this more and more in the days ahead, and he already is with the body of Christ. This is not just a future reality. This is a present reality, but this reality is going to dynamically increase in the days ahead, and it's for our children. And you mothers and fathers that are weary, I wanna encourage you to keep contending so that the children walk in the fullness of God. What if a whole generation walked in the Luke 4.18 anointing of our children? What if they walked it? Do you have a vision for it? Or is it just limited to you, Lord? Just give me the anointing. But what about give my friend the anointing? Give Curtis Wright the anointing. Release your power, your might, Lord, on families and, and children and little kids. Lord, let them walk in the Luke 4.18 anointing. Acts chapter 4 begins to show us that Peter and John take their stand against the Psalm 2 hour. They're walking in the Luke 4.18 anointing. What's happened in Acts chapter 2? They've waited in the upper room at Pentecost. They've received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 3, they're walking through the gate called Beautiful into the temple, and there's a lame man that's been there for 40 years. And he's healed dramatically and powerfully, and the Story begins to sweep around, begins to go around the temple in Jerusalem that the layman that everyone knew would be healed. Then Peter begins to preach at the end of Acts chapter three and he begins to declare the ways of God and says that 5,000 people come to the Lord. He has no sound system. 
He has no follow-up strategy. He has no card that you fill out at the end of the preaching meeting. He has no social media. He has no marketing, no website. It is just the Luke 418 anointing flowing through a weak and broken vessel named Peter. 5,000 people get saved. So now we've got this guy that everybody knows and the religious leaders know. He's healed. Everybody knows that he's been lame his whole life. And now they're saying, he's healed in the name of Jesus, the one you just crucified. Now the political leaders, the religious leaders, everybody's backed into a corner. They're going, wait a second. Are you, wait a second. Because now they're saying to the religious leaders, you're wrong and Jesus is right. And his way is the way of salvation. And there's power in his name. Pharisees, when you pray for people, they don't get healed. But when we pray in the name of Yeshua, the anointed Messiah, guess what? People are getting healed, even those that have been lame from birth. So more people will come to your preaching meetings or your Bible study when people that are lame are now walking. And the leaders, the religious leaders in particular, will not like that that is happening, and they will begin to rise up and resist it. That's Psalm chapter 2. See, so when Luke 4.18 anointing increases, the rage of the leaders and the nations is going to increase as well. Now, Peter and John take their stand, and in verse 20 of Acts chapter 4, they say this, we cannot but speak of the things which we have seen and heard. They are endued with this unusual boldness because they're, later it says they're these untrained, or it, back in verse 13, it says they're the untrained, uneducated guys talking to the religious elite, but they have such boldness and such clarity on what they're saying that they can't argue with them. And that's what the anointing does. It can take an uneducated and untrained person, put them in front of kings, put them in front of leaders, put them in front of the intellectually elite and confound the wisdom of the wise. Their boldness was derived from an anointing that was flowing from intimacy with Jesus. This is what they say in verse 13. It says, when the religious leaders, that's what that means, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, they perceived that they were uneducated and untrained. They marveled. And this is the key phrase, I think. They realized they had been with Jesus. See, in the Psalm 2 hour of rage, the boldness that the body of Christ is to walk in is not just the tone, the strength of the force of our argument and how loud we can yell and how we're willing to argue with people online and have the last word. That is not what is happening here. The boldness that flowed from Peter and John in that hour came because they had been with Jesus. They had an intimacy. They had a flowing relationship. They were connected into the vine of who God was. They had seen his miracles. They had seen his ways. They go, that's the way we're gonna go. We're going that way. It's not the loud. It's not the flashy. It's not the overtake. It's not the rise up, bear arms, and overthrow Rome. They said, we're not doing that. That's not the way that we're going. We're gonna flow in intimacy with Jesus. We're gonna do what the Father tells us to do. And when he says speak, we're gonna speak. And when he says don't speak, we're gonna not speak. When he says stretch out your hand, we're gonna stretch out our hand. And they realized that they had been with Jesus. Is that the testimony of the church in this nation? Are the secular leaders, are the religious leaders looking in at the spirit-filled church and saying of us, Looks like they've been with Jesus. Probably mostly not, sadly. But that can change. What does that mean? That means we gotta get with Jesus. We gotta get around him. We gotta get around that man from Nazareth, that Jewish Messiah, and let his ways permeate our life and our heart and get his heart and get his words and get his anointing and walk with him and please the Father. And see his name glorified, amen? Go to the next page. As these religious leaders rise up, what do Peter and John do? And the early church, they actually contextualize what's happening. They say, this is Psalm chapter two. This is the nations raging against Jesus. 
They're raging against him because there are miracles being done in his name. They're raging against him because they cannot overcome the words of grace that are coming forth out of the apostles' mouth. And they're going, this is the rage of the nations. Just a quick note, under paragraph M, the father uses the rage of the nations for his own purposes. You know later in Psalm 2 that as the nations are raging, the father is laughing at them. He's deriding them. He's holding them actually in derision and almost like this sarcastic tone, laughing at their attempts to overcome his plans and overcome his ways. It's not gonna happen. How does the church respond? Well, in Acts 4.29, let's look at this. They begin to pray. They begin to pray. They begin to cry out for, to God for the increase of the anointing, which I believe is the Luke 4.18 anointing because it's connecting to preaching and it's connecting to signs and wonders. They're asking for the increase of the anointing. Now think about this. You're Peter and John. You've just had the upper room experience where flames of fire were appearing over people's heads. That's a pretty good prayer meeting. You stumble out, you're praying in other tongues, people are understanding you, 3,000 people get saved, then later you preach again, 5,000 people get saved, and you're just like, we got it going on right now. Like, this is what we've been talking about in our friendship group, you know? It's happening. You, they've gotta be so excited. Revival is breaking out in Jerusalem. The power of God, the might of God, miracles that no one can deny, and then they go to a prayer meeting right here in verse 29. The rage of the leaders rises up, and then they go, we have to keep praying. And then we're not just gonna keep praying. We're gonna actually ask for the increase for God to release more right now. And beloved, I wanna tell you that it is so critical that we as a spiritual family, as God releases the anointing, as the prophetic increases, as signs and wonders, miracles increase, that we will not lose the place of prayer and intercession because there is always more. And until the earth is covered in the knowledge of the glory of God, and until that man is reigning from Mount Zion in the body, there is always more to be had. And I love their hunger, and I love their passion. Because most people would say, let's just ride this out. Let's just ride the wave of this momentum and revival and set up our little church. We got 8,000 members. This will be sweet. They go, no, it is not about that. It is not about us. It's not about building our thing. It's about the knowledge of the glory of God filling the earth and covering it as the waters cover the sea. We won't stop. Now they say this in verse 29. And this is an apostolic prayer that we often pray down in the prayer room. It's on the little apostolic prayer sheet that we have. They say this, now Lord, look on their threats. Grant to your servants that with all boldness they would speak your word. See, that's the preaching, the Luke 4.18, declaring the gospel. By stretching out your hand to heal. See, there's healing and signs and wonders would be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Let's look at this. Number one, they ask the Lord to look on the threats. And even in the rage of the nations, the father who is seated and laughing at his enemies contextualizes that as a threat towards the body of Christ, meaning even evil men and power cannot remove you from your place of authority and intimacy and communion with God. You're eternally his. You'll be given a resurrected body. You're gonna live forever and ever and ever. Your life, even if you're 80 years old, has only begun because you're going to live forever in the presence of God. And whatever the enemy is scheming, whatever the enemy is doing, no matter how horrible it is, Paul calls it momentary light affliction, even in this age. And it's to bolster our confidence because we're anchored in the age to come. That's where our hope lies. That's where our confidence lies. Colossians 1 says that our hope is stored up in heaven where the presence and power of God is manifest, amen? Number two, they say this, grant to your servants boldness. This boldness is granted to the Father, or excuse me, granted by the Father to his church. It's not about tone, it's not about volume, it is about an anointing to speak the words of God and power to those that have the power to take your security, 
to take away your comforts, to make your life hard and miserable in this age. The boldness of this is not about responding in anger against the anger that's coming against us. Now, let me ask you something real quick. Married folk, married folk, one of you is going along your day and you feel totally fine. You're like, everything is good. All of a sudden, you find out your spouse is angry at you. They haven't said nothing. You just discover that they're angry. What happens to your heart? Boom, you get angry. You're angry back. Why? We reciprocate the emotions. We reciprocate the tone and the demeanor that is being brought against us. We don't even know why. We're just angry that they're angry. I want to tell you that in the hour of rage that we're seeing right now, rising in the culture, the body of Christ cannot respond to rage with rage. They cannot respond to anger with anger. They cannot respond to wrath with wrath. They need boldness. Boldness is different than anger. Boldness is rooted in confidence and anger is rooted in fear. Anger's rooted in fear because it's connected to a sense of loss. You're threatening me. You're threatening my security. You're threatening my life. You're threatening who I am and who I'm supposed to be. So it's rooted in fear. Boldness is rooted in confidence. I confidently know what God is saying. I confidently know where I am going. I confidently know who I am in God. So boldness is not about resisting anger with equal parts anger. It is about hearing the voice of God and then speaking it to those that can take away your security. He says this, let him speak your word. The spirit wants to fill the mouth of his people with the anointed word. Give your mouth to the Lord. Don't give it to complaining. Don't give it to accusation. Don't give it to strife. Don't give it to anger. Don't buy into the cultural soup and allow that to become your voice. One of my friends said it like this. He's a pastor. He said, I you know, preach a 30 or 40 minute sermon every Sunday. He said, but my congregation has already listened to 10 hours of Fox News. They've already got 10 hours of the soup of the media into their minds and into their hearts. And it's starting to govern their emotions. It's starting to govern the way they think and the way that they speak and the way that they process. And he goes, I'm already in a losing game, beloved. The body of Christ, we gotta fill our mind with the words of God. We've gotta let the words and the purposes of God permeate us, fill us, transform us to speak the words of God. Because the only thing that comes out is what goes in. Stretch out your hand. The stretching out of the hand of God is when the authority of God is released. And typically, biblically, when God stretches out his hand, it's either in blessing or in judgment. It's a, a judicial act when the king stretch out his hand or he stretches out his scepter. But here's the main idea. When God stretches out his hand, there is no hand capable of resisting the hand of God. When he stretches it out over his enemies, when he stretches it out against sickness, when he stretches it out against injustice, Nothing can stop the hand of God. And it's not about us stretching out our hand. It's about God stretching out his hand. And this is where our confidence lies. We need God to stretch out his hand over our nation in multiple levels. There are so many levels. Spiritually, socially, practically, relationally, we need the hand of God to release justice and make every wrong thing right. But our confidence is in this, that if God stretches out his hand, it will be done. And that's why we pray for God in this passage to stretch out his hand, that his purposes would go forth, that no one could resist him, no one could stop him. He is so anointed, he is so powerful, and that's where our hope fully lies. I'm gonna invite the worship team to come out here. Why am I saying all this? I'm saying this because Acts chapter four, I think for our praying community, and we are a praying church and a praying community, Acts chapter four is very important to us. And it's important because the Luke 4.18 anointing, 
because of the rising cultural Psalm 2 rage that we're experiencing. We need God to release a spirit of boldness on the proclamation of Christ. We need him to stretch out his hand to bring healing, to bring vindication, to bring justice, to bring change, to bring about that which is in his heart. We need God to do it. And we appeal to him. And we ask him, and he goes, this is what I want you to do. I've actually strategically positioned you that you would open up your mouth and that I would accomplish my purposes in the earth. So that's what I'm calling us to. Let's stand. Holy Spirit, we come before you as a spiritual family. We come before you, Lord, with all of the good things of our lives and all of the negative things that need fixed. All of them. There's so much. Individually, corporately, there's so much. We need you to answer, my God. We need you to intervene. And you will. You will. Because you're anointed to. You're anointed to lead people out of captivity. You're anointed to release healing in body, soul, and spirit. You are the anointed one, and our confidence is fully in you. We don't see the mountain of our problems. We see the man high and lifted up, glorified, reigning over the kings of the earth. That's where our confidence is. And we will continue to ask, and we will continue to believe until the fullness of your power and love and promise is manifest in this city, in this church, in this nation, in this generation. We want it, God. We want it. We want Luke 4.18 at last. We want to see it. We want to walk in it. We want our children to walk in it. We want our grandchildren to walk in it. We want to see the anointing of God in a fresh, dynamic, invisible way. Come Holy Spirit. Today I want to invite you to receive prayer if you'd like. The Lord's touching your heart. This is what you need. You need a fresh revelation that Jesus is way, way, way anointed. That's it, simple. We've been praying for years, Ephesians 1, 17, that we would have wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of Christ. Beloved, if we could see how anointed he is, I mean, he's more anointed than Moses. He's more anointed than Elijah. He's more anointed than Billy Graham and Reinhard Bonnke. He is anointed over your life. He'll set you free from sin. He'll set you free from condemnation. He'll heal bodies. If he stretches out his hand, he'll heal you this morning. He's way more anointed than anyone that we know. He is the anointed. It's his name, Jesus Christ, the anointed one. I want to invite you to come up to the front. We have a ministry team to pray with you. We're going to go into a time of worship. This is what I want you to do. Come up to the front. You need a touch in your body. You need to see Jesus as the anointed one. Maybe you need a fresh feeling of boldness. You felt in your own heart, man, I'm shrinking back from my calling. I'm shrinking back from the gospel. I'm shrinking back from leading my family or being a faithful witness in the marketplace. I'm shrinking back and I need an anointing from God. I can't, I can't stir myself up anymore. I need God. We need to, we're dependent upon him. Come Holy Spirit. We ask you, Lord, for a fresh revelation. Right now, just if you're up here, I wanna invite you to close your eyes. I want you to picture Jesus. I'm gonna read this verse over you, Psalm, or excuse me, Luke 4.18. I'm gonna read this over you. And I want you to see Jesus. I want you to picture him. He's the anointed one of Yahweh. This is unbelievable. He's filled with power and love and he does it in one second. He can do it. He can, he can change everything in one second. He's that powerful. Read this over you. 
I want you to believe in your heart that this is true over your own life, that one has been apostled, sent by the Father for your life, for you, for your own unique story. He's been sent for you. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. That's us. We're the poor. We're the ones that desperately need God. And Christ has been sent to preach a message of good news to you. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. That's who Jesus is over your life. He is the healer of broken hearts. He's the healer of broken bodies. He's the healer of broken families and broken marriages, of broken prodigals and our children. He is the healer and he is anointed by the Father to bring healing. Even today, God, we ask for that. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, to open blind eyes, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, those who are under a spirit of oppression, a spirit of infirmity, those that struggle with anxiety, depression, insomnia, those who are oppressed in the natural, who are in horrible relationships. God has sent His Son to bring us out of oppression, to give us a new heart, to give us a new mind, to heal the brokenness of our lives, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Come Holy Spirit. This is who you are. Our confidence is not in any man. Our confidence is in the Lord. It is in Christ, Messiah. We lift our eyes to you. Visit us this morning. Release our ministry team to begin praying. We ask for an open heavens over these lives. heaven. No one can close it, God. 